Crusaders and welcome to another edition of Batman, the animated series podcast. I'm your host, Alex Robson, and with me, as always, is my co-host, my brother, comic book artist and writer, and the guy who hopes his wife is not making meatloaf for dinner. It's Mr. Will Robson. Say hello, Will. Yes. I don't... Who likes meatloaf? Like, really? There's not many people out there, I think, that dig Is it just uh, like, a, a I grew meatloaf. up with it, and my mom made it, so, like, uh, mama's meatloaf, it's, like, comfort, it's, that's what it's gonna be, right? Yeah, and but it's just basically a dry bolognese. Loaf should only be used when talking about bread and cats, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think, um, I think meatloaf, I've had some, like, fancy meatloaf before, where I've gone to a restaurant, and they're, like, no, it's just prime is- rib, but loafed. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's exactly you're just ruining the whole meat process, like and and the flavor and the consistency, and just adding too much like spices. It's just gross. It ends up being just a dry slab of meaty bread. That's what it That's, is. It sounds grim. Yeah, it does. And then they you know put what? gravy I don't over it. Blame Chuckers for not looking forward to his wife's meatloaf. Sounds yeah. disgusting. That Mrs. Collins is a lazy bitch. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> You want to take that one again? <laughs> no. <laughs> She's fictional. Right, making a stance. Uh, so today, obviously, we're bringing up Meatloaf because we have a special guest today. It is Alan Burnett. He's the producer of Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, Justice League, and so many other DCAU and DC shows and movies. Plus, he's the writer of 11 episodes of Batman the Animated Series, as well as co-writer of Mask of the Phantasm, and he's also the co-writer of the recent Batman The Adventure Continues comics, which is amazing that he's been doing with Paul Dini. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get to talk to him all about that stuff today. But first, buddy, how is the art life going for you? How is the art life going for me? Uh, it's been the writing life this past week as, as I had to lock in uh, issue two of my IDW creator own book, which I cannot talk about. But I, I wrote issue two. I had written the first draft about a month ago. And there was only tiny little quarrels from editorial, like, this is great, but, like, we would like to see more of this character and explain this, this, and this more. And then I just looked at the whole script, and I re- rewrote it 11 different drafts, which drove me insane. And I don't know why I did that to myself. Damn. But it's a, it's a completely new script now with new scenes and everything. I think it's better. There's better scenes in it now. So that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad it's moving towards improvement and really excited when you can share more. I know you've been doing very subtle teases online of showing like close up, like very rough sketches of yeah. pages you've been doing. So, yeah, it's really exciting. And I'm I'm glad that the story is is getting even stronger as you're writing it, because obviously I know what it is. But to see it start to come to life and you're sending me things, I can't wait for people to be able to see it as well. Yeah, it should be good. And then on the other side of things, I'm still waiting for this final print. Uh, test for, for Outbreaks issue one and then the moment I finally can put my thumbs up to the printers I'll start posting it out to everybody because you know what the annoying thing is is like I'm launching issue two in September uh, September 1st and usually what you do is you you could do a pre-launch page on Kickstarter where people you can advertise it people will go to it they'll click notify me so that when it launches you know you how many backers roughly you're going to have that are immediately going to start backing which helps tremendously it's a, a great thing to use to be able to promote your upcoming Kickstarter. But you can't do that until you've fulfilled all the rewards of your previous Kickstarter. So uh, I haven't been, since I haven't been able to fucking post my shit out yet, which is driving me insane, um, <laughs> I can't do that. So, yeah, it's very annoying. Well, hopefully the pages will come soon and there'll be correct order 
and you'll be able to send out everybody's rewards. Yes, and I just want to see the book in print like the way it should be and like be like, look what I've done. I've created the comic book. And I, and I want to bag and board it. And I want to to put it away in my little shelf, and like I I might even get like a little spinner rack in my office where I can like have outbreaks issues on it and spin it around and say, "Look at me, wee!" Well, you've been designing lots of cool stuff for issue two already. You've you've recently uh, hopped on the TikTok train. What have you been doing on TikTok? Yes, I, I am now a Gen Zer. What's up? <laughs> mid. That's so mid. On God. What's the uh, uh, I was about to say on fleek, but that would show my age. Yes, it would. Um, no cap. Kickity no cap ca- caps. <laughs> no cap on my TikToks. That's right. No cap is so mid, bro. I saw I saw someone say, like, you should have so many more followers from this video. And you're like, well, I'm new to the tiki-toki. And you wrote tiki-toki. <laughs> yeah, I said, I call it the tiki-toki. What's wrong with that? Uh, just, it's mid, bro. That's mid. I think it's not mid. I think it's peak. <laughs> Big ticky tocky. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm experimenting with stuff. I want to. I, so you know, I used to be extremely active on YouTube, and I used to upload videos all the time. Um, and you know, I was getting not much, but like I was getting making money off of YouTube because I had so many subscribers and so many viewers. And then once I became a professional comic book artist, I kind of just dropped all that to focus on my work. But now I've been so like wanting to get back into that because. It scratches the old film school itch, like putting together a video and editing and all that stuff. Like that's what I trained um, to do academically, and what's what I wanted to do as a career. I mean, I was uh, an editor for Sky Television at one point, and I edited for the the Yogscast YouTube channel at one point as well. Like I was a pretty yeah. much like going to become a professional editor, even though I wanted to write and direct. And yeah, so I'm just like I'm I'm. I just realized, like, I pretty much work mostly digitally unless, like, I, I want to do, like, a cover or a certain page traditionally to sell it. And I was like, I could just click record on my screen. And then I could just show me drawing. And then I could just, you know, make content out of that. So I, I'm slowly learning over here. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's fun. That's why I do all of the videos for this podcast, like, taking clips. If you guys haven't seen them, we're on TikTok at Batman TAS Pod. You can catch clips of uh, episode reviews that we do or guest interviews. And then I put the animation over it and it just scratches that fun little creative itch because I too really enjoyed editing and did it loads in mm-hmm. school and, and in my career outside of it, in my marketing career, and really enjoyed that aspect. And it's good fun. Sometimes you're like, oh my God, I just want to finish this, you know, but for the most part, they're just it's great to put them out there and see people's response and see people share it and like it so yeah i'm i'm all for that i'm glad you're on tiktok and their editing software is is pretty easy to use it's from from a point of perspective as someone who's trained in final cut pro i'm very impressed by tiktok's editing software there are so many great effects like and it's super streamlined to be able to use with your fingers on your phone like so much better than other apps. Like, I'm very impressed by it. So much so that, like, I don't care that... Like, I edit in TikTok, and then, yeah, I export it to, like, YouTube Shorts and uh, all my other social medias, and TikTok puts a watermark on those videos. I don't care, because the editing software is that good that I'm like, I'd rather just use this. Yeah, I agree. Well, speaking of editing, should we speak to the story editor and producer of Batman, yeah. the animated series? What a good segue! Uh, thank you! Let's go talk to Alan Burnett. 
Okay, Crusaders, please join me in welcoming a very special guest to our show. He co-produced over 75 episodes of Batman the Animated Series, as well as countless episodes for the DCAU. He conceived the stories for Two Face Parts 1 and 2, Mudslide, Read My Lips, The Terrible Trio, Time Out of Joint, and Riddler's Reform, as well as the co-producer of Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the co-writer of the recent DCAU comic books, Batman the Adventure Continues. Please join me in welcoming Alan Burnett to our show. Alan, how are you doing, sir? I am doing fine. I'm very glad to be here. Nice to meet you, Alex. Nice to meet you, Will. Yes, that's right. Very nice to meet you. I am also here. Everybody. Will is also here, which I always forget to intro. <laughs> you. Introduce me. That's fine. <laughs> um, so, Alan, my first question for you is a fun one, and I th- maybe you've confirmed this before, but I've got to ask you in person: Is the likeness of the character Charlie Collins in the episode? The Joker's favor. Is that character based on you? The likeness? Yes, it is. That it is. Oh, As a really? matter of fact, I'm going to shift the can. Nobody can see this at home, but you you see those three cells? Those are Charlie and the Joker in various stages of oh, um, of uh oh, awesome. of uh getting together. Uh yeah, Charlie was uh based on me. One of my favorite episodes, it's in my top five that that just just something about the episode I love so much. Yeah, it was an episode that introduced uh, Harley. Yes, and, yeah, uh, and then uh, she got the costume later on in a subsequent episode. But yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. And Ed Begley Jr. played me in that thing. <laughs> so, uh, so how did the likeness? How was, did it come about? Um, I, I think that uh, Bruce Tim, who did all the models for the characters. Uh, Thought he'd have some fun with me that time, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, he got pretty close to the way I looked at that time. So, uh, but uh, I had I, I enjoyed that, and I, I you know, gobbled up some cells of it as soon as I could. So, uh, so that was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I in a book I'm, I'm recently writing, I have a character called Charlie, and I have at one point somebody say, "Okay, Chuckers," just because of that <laughs> line in in that episode. <laughs> it's, it, no one will get it when they read it except for my brother and that'll be it and that'll be fine yeah i love that line so much yeah i mean just mark hamill in that episode is just is top form as the joker in that episode he's just yeah, he's, he's incredible you know he's just uh irreplaceable uh, voice for that for joker he's 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 the joker to me so absolutely but, uh, yeah and Paul Dini, you know, you can always count on a script from Paul to be funny and and uh, serious at the same time. And that it was a serious story, but uh, I I got a lot of laughs from it. So yeah, I love uh, it. I mean, you talk about Paul there, and um, you can count on him, especially with Joker episodes. And we've had a lot of writers uh, from the show come on this podcast. And when we asked them, like, was there any was there ever a character that you wanted to write for? And so many of them have said, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to say the Joker because that was Paul's. Like he just did such a great job with that character that like, it, it's not even worth me trying to touch it. You know, they're, you know, like someone like Marty Eisenberg wanted to do, be the Riddler guy because Paul was just rocking it with the Joker. So, you know, why even bother? I think he did all the Joker stories for the first 85 episodes of that show. I, I wouldn't think. be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think I think you're right. I think um maybe there's one or two very early ones like the um the last laugh when he's on the garbage uh, floating garbage boat and he's poisoning mm-hmm. the city. I'm not I don't think Paul wrote that. But still like those aren't the episodes that people remember. The ones that Paul wrote are, are the general yeah. episodes that they remember. I got on the show like when there there were a few episodes into it. 
And from that point on, I think Paul was writing anytime there was a Joker story, he did it. And yeah. it just fell, it fell that way. Uh, the other people uh, did the other, we, well, you know, there's a whole big rogues gallery for the other story editors to deal with. So they dealt with the others. Absolutely. So, what, so you just uh, mentioned, you know, you came on board um, fairly early on, but they had already um, started rolling with some of the episodes and such. So uh, I think you've shared this story before, but for our listeners who don't know, how did you become um, one of the head producers for Batman? I, w- I was brought on because, well, I was asked to do it a lo- long before I, I got there. Uh, but I was I was wanting to get out of uh, Saturday morning and animation altogether. And was doing I was doing some other stuff at Hanna-Barbera at the time. But then I saw the um, the trailer that they did, and I thought, oh, I got to be a part of this. So, so I joined uh, when they were a few scripts into it, and I think there was there was just a, a conceptual problems between the writers and the producers at that time. The producers wanted uh, or directors. I'm talking about Bruce Tim and Eric Rodomsky, who wanted to do a more adult show than the scripts they were getting. I mean, that was basically it, and so did I. And it turns out, you know, the show was not a Saturday morning show. This was a weekday show at 3.30. So the audience was older and you could actually get away with uh, a, a lot of stuff. You know, it was under the, uh, the category of children's programs over at Fox. It, it's, I treated it more like uh, a primetime show as much as I could. We couldn't have people getting killed, unfortunately, on the show. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted to off so many people. Yeah, you do. And, you know, it, it, uh, so I wanted to do a very serious Batman show. I mean, I, I was in Saturday morning for 10 years and that, that, that was plenty. So that's how I got into it. They just needed a shift in, in focus and I provided that. And, and it worked out pretty well. I mean, I, uh, when I, when I went into it, I remember saying to myself, you're going to forget every rule you ever had in Saturday morning. Just just go with what you want to do. And we did some some pretty adult stuff for mm-hmm. some of it, at least. Um, I, I pictured, you know, when you're doing Saturday morning, uh, it's sort of 6 to 11. I'm not sure if that term means much anymore to anybody, but the shows used to be on Saturday uh, when kids were off from school. That was... That was those were their hours to watch TV, and the appeal was to be to, to six to eleven year olds. And when I started doing Batman, I said, "No, we're just shift this all to uh, teenage teenagers." Uh, that's that's sort of the audience I want to go for fourteen year old boys at least. And we did. We had a we we ended up having a, a wide range of uh, of a demographic. I mean, we got. We got uh, we got the teenagers. We got the 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 kids. We got uh, college. Yeah, I mean, you students. got you got us. I was like seven, you know, yeah. at the time, six or well, seven. I, I was told that it was popular with two year olds, and the reason is because uh, if you it's a colorful show. I mean, a lot of it is in black, but when there's color, the color just pops. And yeah. so they like the color. The kids, the little ones, like the color, and they like the fact that it was kind of a quiet show. It wasn't coming at you with noise all the time, like a lot of cartoons did at that time. So um, that was uh, that was what we we're going after, and we had a good time doing it. Yeah, we wanted to make a show that that comic book readers could appreciate. That was, I mean, that was the basic thing. 
I was a, I, I think I was two, I was a two year old when it came out. And the first words I ever spoke was Batman. And I know we had the show on. So I'm sure that's probably was something that was interesting to me on, on the television at the time. And, uh, so you were one of the two year olds who liked it, which I'm happy to hear. <laughs> so when, uh, when we had Randy Rogel on the show, uh, he shared his first writing experience for Batman, uh, which was given to him by you, essentially, because you conceived the story for Two-Face. Now, where did the story of Two-Face come from with Harvey having his dual personality? Well, um, I've, I've always liked Two-Face. I remember reading uh, my first uh, issues uh, with that had Two-Face in it when I was uh, in grade school. And I thought he was the most fascinating character because... Uh, because he had a good side and a bad side, and 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 uh, and uh, there, there's a, there's a, a a geometry about his personality that appealed to me when I was a kid. I don't know if that makes sense, but and I, I he was the first villain I wanted to tackle when we did um, the show, and part of my philosophy at that time was that. Uh, he probably was a split personality before he his face got destroyed, and because that makes it doesn't make sense to me that his face got destroyed and suddenly he becomes uh, this uh, this psychotic. He was yeah. psychotic before it was hidden, but when half his face was destroyed, it suddenly all came out. And then, and I actually called. I talked about this in, uh, at other places, but I called up a, a psychiatrist friend of mine and I said. Uh, I said, what could, what causes split personality? And essentially, it could be a very small thing. It could be a thing uh, as as small as just hiding a little secret when you're a kid that starts to fester and get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I, I had a fascination with Two-Face and uh, was happy to have Randy uh, write, the, write the show. Randy and I – Randy actually – wrote is he's he's an example of where writing spec scripts got you somewhere with the producer uh he wrote actually two spec scripts and i thought uh, and though i didn't use them although uh, there's one i probably should have used uh, i thought anybody who can write this fast and uh this entertainingly uh somebody should be on my team so that's how he he got on batman but um, anyway, so that, that was my philosophy about Two Face. Yeah, he's not. He's that. a great. He's a great villain. He's not. He's not. A, there's not a lot of stories you can really tell about him, but the stories you can tell about him can be very effective. I just like him a great deal. And he he evolves over the show to tell different stories, doesn't he? I mean, his his character changes dramatically towards the end of uh, Batman the Animated Series with the Judge. Uh, version yeah. of the character, so that he—that's why. I, and it, it's like when you read Two Face comics now; it's never the same uh, two-note story. It's um, you know it, it, he does evolve as a character, which is always interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just love the the seed that you planted with, like, as you said, he was he was troubled before the the accident, and when we reviewed those episodes, uh, we've been going in production order, not release order. So um, we reached it in episode seven or eight or whatever. And the episodes we had watched, we enjoyed them all. But it was when we reached Two-Face Part 1, we were like, oh, this is the series that we remember now. And I was like, what changed here? And your name was one of those names that was involved in that change. And I, I know that's why you were brought on, obviously, to kind of like steer the ship in a different direction than yeah, they were it going. Went, it went from Saturday morning cartoon to, you know, drama, essentially. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, uh, well, thank you. Um, I remember Kevin Altieri was the director of that first show, and he he was the one who came up with the lightning effect. I don't know if you remember. He's she's in he, uh, he's in the Harvey's in his psychiatrist's office, and uh, she's uh, trying to heal him. And um, there's a flash of lightning, and you see the the bad side of his face all of a sudden. That yeah, and, a little Easter egg. I love that. Oh, it was just wonderful, and that was Kevin's touch. He was he, he was one of our our most creative directors on that show. He's a, he's a great, so we've had him on the show. He came on uh, fairly recently and um, I was chatting to him about the Two-Face episodes and he said that uh, in Two-Face Part 2, the thing that they focused on that the uh, the animation studio, I can't remember who it was right now off the top of my head that did it, actually filmed Tsunami Rain and that rain became synonymous in the show where like I was chatting with Marty Eisenberg and I think it was like, what is reality or Silicon soul? One of those episodes. And the, he got like the first draft and the rain came back and he's like, no, I want two face part two rain. I want that rain. Like th- I don't want the rain you gave me. <laughs> and it's just like this, like this whole thing that Kevin did in those episodes with that animation studio became this like, and it is a fantastic looking rain. Like it looks like it's really raining in that yeah. episode and it's real rain it's crazy yeah so uh characters like clayface and riddler were such strong characters that i personally feel weren't used as much as they could have been in the show they had just a few episodes but you got to work on uh, two of the best episodes in my opinion for those characters which was mudslide and riddler's reform um can you remember where the stories came from from some of those episodes like we'll start with mudslide with with him being you know, uh, helped by a, a fan of him when he was an actor and she's like trying to basically put him back together. And it had a very sort of like 50s horror feel out on an island where, you know, she's like encasing him in this like bodysuit and such like that. Um, I well, love that. That's what, they, that's what they were doing in the comic books by that time. There right. was a, a clay, clay face was put in sort of a glass suit or, or I should say transparent suit. And uh, I thought, you know, if he was falling apart, that would be an interesting story. And a lot, you know, almost every outline that I wrote, I really wanted to write a script. It was just too too much. There wasn't enough time to mm-hmm. do it all. So, um, but that was, I thought that 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 would be interesting. And I remember coming coming up to the end, the idea that water could possibly destroy uh, Clayface. Uh, or it, it was his kryptonite. So, and that's where that story sort of came from. The uh, Riddler's reform. I'm not sure. So that was Randy Regal that wrote that. Um, he wrote that. Yeah, and it's 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 my favorite Riddler episode because I love how he's like working with this toy company, and you think he's gone straight, but he's just obsessed with still being like outsmarting Batman, basically. And I love yeah. the end of the episode where he puts Batman in the death trap. And Batman escapes and Riddler doesn't know how. And he's in Arkham. Like, how did he do it? Like, I have to know. And the performance from John there is just incredible. Uh, the, yeah, um, I haven't seen that in a while. The the thing that I loved about that episode was that um, it got away from the usual uh, Riddler routine, which is he comes up with a riddle and they talk about, okay, what could be the answers? And this is the answer. And sure enough, that's the answer. Batman comes up with the answer. And uh, so there's a sort of a linear thing that that you get a little tired of with the Riddler. But this broke that. This was a case of the Riddler 
giving riddles and not not realizing that he was doing it. He couldn't help himself. And right. uh, and when Batman realizes that, that becomes the way to, to get him. Yeah, I like that episode. I think that's the best Riddler episode we did. Yeah, it's great. So was the villain Scarface always planned for the show, or was that something that came an option later in production? No, I love Scarface. I love characters that have two sides of personalities like that. I like, you know, Scarface is sort of a you like mentally of- you like mentally troubled individuals. I can tell. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to do Scarface. It's one of my favorite episodes. I mean, it's one of the most lush looking of our episodes. It almost looks like it's painted on black velvet. And it's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful episode. The score is incredible, I, too. The music in that episode, that jazz is just so good. I love it. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's great. And um, and Joe Lansdale uh, wrote it. I mean, we had an outline for him. He doesn't, he doesn't particularly like to write outlines. He likes to take a, a story in outline form and find the script. Um, he likes to find the script. I think he would skip outlines altogether and just try to find the script, trying to find the story in the script. And but um, we got it to him. I, he was friends with um, with Michael Reeves, who was one of our story editors. And I just I remember it was at a time when I had to have a good script. The assembly line of production was getting a little a little uh, crowded and uh and joe lansdale sent in the script and i and i read it really quickly and uh, saying oh please make this be good well it was just spectacular script and uh the dialogue was just beautiful and um uh we used him on some other stuff whenever we could um but he he he, he is one of my favorite writers that i've worked with and I worked with him on, I mean, and this is news. Uh, he actually wrote a, uh, a uh, Swamp Thing uh, DVD for us that I so wanted to do. What, uh, for a- animation? Yeah, for animation. And this goes back in like 20 years ago. Um, so this is a movie? Still, it's a movie, yeah. Wow. And, but but the, the, um, the, uh, the people who uh, run... Uh, the video department decided that they wanted bigger stars than Swamp Thing. And so it got shuffled off to the side, but it was a great script and he wrote it. And, and he's just one of my favorite writers. So the, was that just sitting on a Warner Brothers shelf somewhere, just collecting dust right now? That's right. Somebody needs to look at, look it up again because it's, it's terrific. Yeah. I love Swamp Thing. I think they're, are they doing a, a Swamp Thing movie? Is that on the, the boards? Uh, yes, I believe that was part of James Gunn's announcement for the DCU was Swamp Thing was going to be much later down the line, but that was the last announcement of the first phase, if you want to call it that, of all of these movies. So um, maybe they'll end up digging out that script or, you know, hacking it and taking bits of it. Could always turn it into a comic. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, but except it was based on a comic, an existing comic. Oh, <laughs> oh right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about The Terrible Trio, uh, an episode that seems to be lumped in with some of the lower rated episodes, such as The Underdwellers of I've Got Batman in My Basement, which 
as we said off pod, are two episodes that we actually really enjoyed on a rewatch yeah. um, right. when reviewing them. So would you ever, with the terrible trio, besides asking you how you came up with that and you know how that episode came to be, would you ever consider revisiting these characters and like bringing them back? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm in charge of no shows today, but uh, the, uh, I'll, I, I must confess to you, the terrible trio came at the end of the, I think, I think at the end. Yeah, it was uh, one of the few last episodes of the series. Yeah. So I, and I had started to move on to other stuff. I've never seen the terrible trio. No way, really. I've never seen it, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was told it wasn't, you know, <laughs> the greatest thing in the world. Uh, and then I had the audacity to bring the terrible trio back for uh, a subsequent Batman. I forget which which show we did it for. It wasn't. Oh, it was Batman Beyond, I believe. I think we really? did. Brought the, we did the terrible trio with Batman Beyond. I believe so. And I think in that case, we it was. Um, they were taking some sort of um, uh, mutagen to uh, change them, themselves to. Uh, oh, and, I've never uh, put two and two together that they were the sort of, you know, like, I'm sure they're not the same people because it's in the future, but it was like. It's a, in the, yeah, a, it's a completely a new different story. trio. Right. Yeah. And I've never seen that show either. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it turns out if anything with a terrible trio, isn't it? You're just not going to watch it, I guess. I guess not, but you know what? I'm, you got me intrigued. Maybe I should, after 25 years or so, maybe I should get onto uh, Warner yeah. Max and look at the episode. I should probably do it and see how bad it really was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it twice. You got. I mean, it's called the Terrible Trio. I think you need to do it one more time. Yeah, <laughs> I just is one of the first uh, comic books I ever read of Batman had the Terrible Trio in it. I must have been nine or ten. Right. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. it exists in the comic books yeah right okay yeah. <laughs> no i didn't make that up out of whole cloth believe me <laughs> i mean like i haven't uh, granted i haven't seen the episode in a while because i'm i'm waiting on a lot of the episodes for the podcast when i come to review it but the last time sure. I, well i think the last time i watched it i watched it with you and we we both didn't remember it and we're like, this is fun. It's just rich snobs like who think they own the world. And the best thing about it is at the end, they're they're trying to bribe Batman. They're like, we'll give you a million dollars. And it like you can't bribe Batman because he's richer than them. I love that. I thought that was a fun ending. So um maybe we're the only people in the world that like it. Or maybe when we on a rewatch it will be different. But right now I think the terrible trio is not so terrible. No. Okay. That's good to hear. Hints of Alfred Hitchcock's rope in it as well, but that's just me, I think. Really? Well, yeah, now you've got doubly intrigued. <laughs> well, just you know, the rich people trying to get away with stuff. Essentially, it's just you know, it's very you know, not exactly that, but it's it's there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because so we just reviewed. Speaking of like odes, we just reviewed the Cat and the Claw Part One, and I noticed some odes to Moonraker. I'm a big James Bond fan. So I noticed some odes to Moonraker. Like there's a little piano jingle to open all these trap doors and like reveal these big sets of like, this is my master plan. Um, I reached out to Kevin and he hasn't gotten back to me. He's probably looking at the message like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? So I, I know there was lots of influences with you guys going on. I suppose my question is what were some of your like fondest um, or proudest 
things that you did for the show or like is there any influences that you took and you're like oh this is i'm injecting it in this or i'm putting it in this you know that's that's my stamp i'm a big cinema fan i'm a big hitchcock fan and you'll find little hitchcock touches through throughout from me i think touches uh stealing that's what it is (laughs) um what's your favorite hitchcock film oh that's a good question um, I think probably Psycho, but I have a great fondness for most of his 50s movie and a great fondness for um, 39 Steps and The Lady Vanishes. And, um, and I, uh, I love uh, North by Northwest. I uh, saw him on two occasions uh, by chance. Oh, wow. He was the first uh, American Film Institute screening or what do you call it? Just a, a film festival uh, was in, held in uh, Century City, and they debuted Family Plot there. And we were all uh, we were all standing, uh, looking down a first floor area, a lobby, open lobby sort of area. Uh, we were on uh, elevated walkways, and they were, <laughs> and we were waiting for Hitchcock to come uh, because the, it was going to be screened. I had tickets to it. And uh, they brought in, there's, there's like four guys were carrying in this coffin and they set it down. And I thought, oh my God, Alfred Hitchcock's in that coffin. And they opened it wow. up and it was film cans of, for a family plot. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I thought, okay. And, uh, but then he, then he came uh, and people applauded, of course. And, there, and he was with his wife, Alma. I actually saw Alma. And uh, and then I went in to see the, sh- the movie. I, my wife and I got tickets. And he came out, Hitchcock came out in front of the audience and did uh, an introduction to his film. Then he left and then they showed the film. And that was my first time I've seen him. The second time I saw him, there was a, a big uh, Hollywood celebration over, of all people, Henry Kissinger. And it's like all the Republicans in Hollywood decided to get together to to honor him. And this was, again, at the Century City Hotel, where there's this huge indoor lobby. And I was a page at NBC that time. This was in the 70s. And uh, I'm sitting there guarding a door. They didn't want anybody to go into the banquet room yet. They wanted all them to be drinking and out in the lobby. And I, that room was packed, too. And it was packed with people like, like uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart and uh, Kirk Douglas and, and Johnny Carson. Um, I mean, it was just amazing. And so I'm sitting there in front of this door, just l- l- watching these guys talk. And, and the, uh, the audience, the, the, the crowd sort of separated at one point. And I'm looking through the crowd and they're like 70 feet away is Alfred Hitchcock. He's sitting down and, um, and I was just like, my God, the reason I'm here is because of him, because I was such a huge fan of his. And I so wanted to leave that damn door and go and say hello. But I didn't know what I would say. Hello, you. Uh, thanks to you, I'm a page at NBC. I didn't know <laughs> quite what to say. And I thought, well, maybe a moment will come. And then they opened the doors and all these Republicans flocked into the banquet room. And Hitchcock was one of the last to go. And again, I guess his wife was with him too. And But he was being sort of, he had bad legs. He was sort of being held up by his assistant. 
and uh, another man. That man turned out to be his uh, chauffeur. And I got to talk with, I, I, I mean, I there was no going up to him. He just right. looked, you know. Uh, Too intimidating as well, I'm sure. It's, it's intimidating and it's just, and it's just, he was an old, old man. Mm. And, uh, but I talked with the, um, the uh, chauffeur who, uh, who had some stories to tell and essentially said that Hitchcock directed a uh, family plot from the limousine. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Wow. But those were the two times. And, you know, later on, I mean, I'm a big fan. I, I went to a screening of Blackmail, which was a, a film in the 1920s. This was when I was actually started working, working at Hanna-Barbera. And I went because, uh, because Patricia Hitchcock was there. By this time, I think, I'm not sure. Hitchcock probably died by then. I'm not sure. And so I saw, I saw, I, I went and saw Patricia Hitchcock and a guy named Charles Bennett, who wrote the screenplay or the play that was based on that the blackmail was based on. He was in his nineties. He was very old, but she was very lively and flighty. I, I sort of, I really liked her. And I just, I mean, this is a stupid memory, but as I was leaving with my friend, it might've been Randy when I think about it, Randy Rogel. But as we were, I was leaving, uh, you heard this clip, 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 and it was Patricia Hitchcock heading for her car. She went past us before we could almost realize who th- that it was her. And it's the stiletto of her, of her uh, high heels. I'll never forget it. I just, I don't know why. It's just one of those memories. And then later on, I went to a USC celebration of Alfred Hitchcock, which featured uh, the granddaughters. Uh, there are three granddaughters c- continuing the uh, legacy. And Ernest Lehman was there. I didn't realize it was Ernest Lehman at the time. And uh, so I've seen the whole family. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I, I saw Ernest Lehman in, in a room where they had posters. Uh, and we were the only two people there. And we talked a little bit, but I didn't realize it was Ernest Lehman. He, he had a very severe Van Dyke beard at the time and, and round uh, glasses. So he was looked very Trotskyite to me. And, uh, but we talked a little bit and afterwards I real I found out who he was and I thought, Holy smokes. He, he was the guy who wrote one of my favorite screenplays North by Northwest. And, um, and I, <laughs> I could have, I could have uh, cornered him and talked a lot about that, that film in and of itself. But oh, coming yeah, back I- to Batman, uh, there was an episode called Perchance to Dream, which has a lot of vertigo in it. Uh, there's a t- the tower, uh, the, the, the third act, which takes place in the tower, is all about vertigo to me. Oh, that's I've never realized that. Yeah, with Mad Hatter. Yeah. That's amazing. That's right. Yeah, yeah that is a, that is a and, real vertigo. Um, and we'd steal some other stuff. There was a show we did where Batman swings into a woman's apartment. Oh, he just swings into an apartment. He's tr- chasing somebody, and there's a woman who goes. Um, uh, he goes. She goes. Oh my! And then she gets a good look at him and goes, "Oh my!" Well, that's a steal. <laughs> that's a steal from uh, <laughs> from uh, North by Northwest. Cary Grant's trying to escape his ho- his hospital room. Walks out on a ledge and goes into another room. And there's a woman who suddenly sits up in bed and says, uh, "No, stop." And then she sees him and goes, no, stop. 
<laughs> that's I know, I know what episode that is as well that's the uh, I think it's when the scarecrow poisons the football players like and he's rigging it so he can place bets and win and uh, wow Batman's... you know the show I forgot yeah I, well, it's, I, I have I have this ridiculous knowledge of the show Alan so I mean it's the reason I did this podcast obviously and yeah that's cool that that moment is an ode to, to Hitchcock and, and North by Northwest that's awesome um, so what are, uh, but the other part of that question is, what are some of your proudest achievements of working on the show? Well, I'm just, you know, we set out to do a show that, that comic book fans would like. And we took the best of Batman over the years and, and put, them, put it all into the show. And it was a group effort. I mean, um, one of the first things I did when I got there was we had like a week's work, just all the writers and all the producers and directors and just talk out Batman. Two two outlines. I mean, I should say two Bibles have been written. There was an earlier one, which was pretty strong. And then there was one that seemed to have been written uh, to make the network feel more at ease with the show. Uh, right. But uh, I just, I don't like Bibles. And we just, we just talked out the show. And that's how we turned that show into what it was. Yeah, I heard so, that the uh, the writers' room, if you want to call it that, was quite the fun place to be when conceiving episodes. And we've had writers on the show come in, and you know, and Paul's like, and then you know, there's this condiment king, and he's got like mustard and ketchup guns, and he's like, you know, playing it out and stuff like that. It sounds like a great time, man. And like, you know, that probably is one of the many reasons why the show is so good because of like all of that passion and and love and and fun that you guys yeah. had to making the show. We were all um, fans, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and so. it shows. So uh, with these characters, you've recently returned to the world of Batman the Animated Series over the last few years. You've been co-writing with Paul Dini, uh, Batman, the, the Adventure Continues. And I've read Volume 1 and 2. I haven't gotten around to 3 because I'm waiting for 3 to be full, sure. you know, like the full collection. Uh, I love Volume One and Volume Two and what you guys did. So, uh, how did this book? How did this book become a thing with you guys? Um, uh, a guy named Andy Marino, who's an editor at um, DC, called me up and said, "Will Will's nodding his head. He knows who Andy is." Andy gave me my first job at DC Comics. He's wow. great, isn't he? Yeah, he's awesome. He's wonderful he's to work with. Lovely guy. Yeah. So, um, and he had called Paul. Too, but Paul was like he he sort of backed was backing away. He wasn't he wasn't uh, that interested. And I said to Andy, I said, "Well, you know, Paul and I work together really well, um, and I I would love to work with him again on this. Do you mind if I give him a call?" And so I called up Paul and I said, "Come on, let's let's do this thing. It's 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 perfect for me because I'm retired now. So it's like, uh, what were we doing? Six, seven, maybe eight stories a, a year, including the uh, the uh, Christmas stories that we would do. And it's just, I mean, you know, and we'd take, we'd take our stories and we'd split the comic in half. And I would write 10 pages. Paul would write 10 pages. Sometimes he'd do the first 10, and then I would do the next 10. And we would talk on the phone, and it was just it was just perfect for me. And Paul was it like the old days? Yeah, it was like the old days. And uh, Paul and I have similar feelings about Batman. I think we always we 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 feel that he's if you if you don't approach Batman with a certain amount of amusement, um, you might be missing something. 
yeah. we, we we like to put a little um, wherever we can put a little laugh here and there regarding him. So, you know, Batman's an interesting character, and I've said this before. He, he, you can you can do so much with him. You can do horror stories. You can do comedy stories. You can do mystery stories, of course, and of course, just thrillers. Uh, there's just a whole gamut of stories you can do, and if if you don't take him seriously, um, there's a danger. You'll get into camp and that's sort of a dead end after a while. And if you take him too seriously, uh, you get into too much blood and guts. You're forgetting about the kid aspect to Batman. I mean, there is, I mean, he's a guy who's, who's a fantasy really. So um, that's a dead end too, but there's just this whole wide range where you can, tell sto- different kinds of stories and use him to tell them. So Absolutely. With the, with the book, um, you've got to introduce some new characters into the DCAU that you didn't get to do on the show. For instance, you've got Jason Todd um, and the Red Hood. You've got like Court of Owls. Um, what's been some of your favorite stories and characters to, to introduce in these books? Uh, I've enjoyed... Uh, Straight man, <laughs> uh, was the Joker's uh, foil. New hen- yeah, the new henchman. The new henchman, yeah. Um, you know, originally when I think about it, they st- there was a toy aspect to what we were doing. They there were certain uh, characters that they wanted us to introduce into the Batman animated universe that would figure into some toys, and the toys never came about. Um, and I'm trying to think who those characters were. We were dealing that with that in the first like five issues, and then right. suddenly that was dropped, and we were just telling our own stories. My favorite story that we've done was maybe the last story that's been out. It's the Harley story where uh, Bruce Wayne discovers that he and Harley Quinn were dating the same girl at the same time back <laughs> back before he was Batman. And uh, and that uh, and that turned into a very funny story to me. We had a we had, Paul and I had a great time with that. Oh, cool! I can't wait to read that one. That sounds fun. I really loved the one with the corrupt uh, mayor. Um, oh yes, I, I think oh, you guys uh, were kind of t- were you guys touching on political uh, agendas at the time? Like, well, not political agendas, but you know, uh, without getting into politics. Uh, a previous president uh, who's no longer president. I saw a lot of similarities between that president and this mayoral Absolutely, character. Yeah. It, it's the way it turned out. We actually weren't modeling him on uh, Trump, but um, he does. Uh, he did stuff that became pretty Trumpian, and yeah. pretty. And, you know, and uh, and my uh, the, my governor DeSantis. I live in Florida now. And uh, <laughs> and there were some things that DeSantis was doing. He was creating his own police force in uh, Tallahassee. And I thought, and this was after my uh, our book came out, but it just mirrored um, life imitating art. I guess that's what it felt like. I saw a lot of similarities, and I thought uh, it's just great to introduce this new character yeah. into this universe. And what I love is that. It was. It's not your typical supervillain, you know. It's not like Batman can just swing down, punch the dude in the face, and off he goes to Arkham. You know, it's like he's on the side of the law, and he's really smart in like the worst ways possible. 
uh, scary at points. And I really yeah. enjoyed that whole story. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was really good. And the fact that he got Gotham on his side, you know, and he's just this like snake is is a is a great angle. I I, I really enjoyed that. So that was that was my favorite of the books that you guys wrote so far. Uh, yeah, well, I, I I I agree with you. That was probably our. That was like a three issue story, um, and it worked out well. Absolutely. That began, with, that began with the character called Muscle, and then we introduced the uh, Mayor Mayhem. That was Paul's um, idea. Uh, he just had the idea of this of this uh, character called Mayor Mayhem, and that's you know that's how this that story grew. Cool. So. Uh, we've had quite a few guests on this show, um, and I guess the the segue here is that when I read any comic, um, not just the ones that you guys wrote, but any Batman comic, the voice I hear in my head is Kevin Conroy when I'm reading Batman in comics. Um, and we've had quite a few guests on our show who um, have spoken about working with Kevin and shared some great stories. Uh, what are some of your standout memories of working with Kevin? Well, Kevin was a wonderful fellow. And uh, with a wonderful voice, he had one of these voices that was strong and and uh, authoritative, and yet it was warm. I mean, if you listen listen to his his um, performances, you 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 sense a warmth about Batman that uh, I don't think other actors could have conveyed as well. You know, he and I got along well. I mean, I, re- I really liked him and. He was, uh, I actually saw him in a play 10 years before I ever, maybe 12 years before I ever met him. He was, he was, uh, and, and I didn't realize that I had seen him. It wasn't until after we worked for a couple of years, he said, you know, I, w- I w- did uh, Death Trap in uh, Los Angeles uh, uh, with Brian Bedford. And I thought, wow, I saw you. Uh, <laughs> and uh and he did not get along with Brian. <laughs> apparently, oh, really? okay. yeah, they had a pair, apparently had a falling out, and, and he was happy not to uh, be working with him after that. Although you won't, he, he wouldn't say that publicly. But it, and I thought, well, that's unfortunate because you know in that play they're lovers. So uh, so, right. uh, but they, but no, he, he Brian Bedford was not a was not his happiest memory in the theater. I think. But uh, I just liked him very much. And he took Batman very seriously. And uh, he was a great appreciative guy when it came to the fans. I mean, um, and they would light up when they saw him. Uh, Many times I would be on a panel and he'd be coming from another panel. And and, uh, he'd be coming to the room just a little bit late. And as he came in, we would announce, oh, there he is. And he would uh, volunteer... uh, he would start shouting out, I am, I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. And that great bass voice of his that yeah. filled the room. I mean, it was a theatrical, yeah. he was a theatrical, um, tra- theatrically trained actor and people would just go nuts. Um, he was just a great fellow. He, he, he went from New York to Los Angeles back and forth. Um, and had a, an apartment in Los An- in, in New York, which I'm told had a room that was dedicated to Batman. I would have liked to have seen what that room looked like, but it had all kinds of paraphernalia. So That's he took amazing. it very seriously, and he was good to the fans, and the fans loved him. Absolutely, we've had we had Diane Pershing on a little while ago, and she spoke about how you know uh, going to the cons was 
he was the centerpiece, right? And then you would have like Lauren Lester, Diane Pershing, and like mm-hmm. other people that obviously were were big characters in the show, but it was nothing without Batman being there. And she said that, you know, now he's gone. It's just, it's not the same. And, you know, and she just, she said the same thing. He would come out on stage and everyone would light up and you wouldn't know he was sick, you know, and no one really, he kept it, you kept it private, which was obviously completely up to him. And that's what he wanted to do. And she said he was just going until like the end, you know, until he really couldn't go anymore. But that was something that he loved to do. And I think that's just, that's just like one of the best traits ever as a person to have that. And, you know, and that's why he is to me and to so many people around the world, they're Batman. You know, he's just, he's just an amazing Batman and he's an amazing, amazing person. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Switching gears here. Do you have any memorabilia from your time working on the show? We love to do this where we ask people, you were talking about some cells in the back there. You don't have to take them off the wall, but yeah. What do you, what do you have as like little treasures? Okay. Just hold on one second. Of course. (laughs) Well, it's not here, but where it is. Oh, here it is. I hope I have this. I'll have to describe it for your audience. I have this. This is when I left uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, this is a, uh, a drawing that Bruce Tim made. Wow. Batman so it's crying. Batman crying. So, for all our listeners, it's like kind of like a more cartoony version of Batman who's like, what would you call that? Like, just like a tiny little, like, uh, I don't know. There's the, there's a type of character name where they're like he's almost Smurf sized, I guess. Is what like a Chibi's the word. Chibi, thank you. I knew you would know that. And he's just crying his eyes out. And I guess that's because you leaving was the saddest thing to happen to Batman. Is that what the drawing's about? I guess so. But uh, <laughs> we will appreciate it. I mean, it's it's beautiful, and uh, I have to put it up someplace. I had a place for it, and then uh, things got switched around. But I'm going to put it up soon. I put this on uh, Facebook when uh, people send me uh, happy birthday notices, and I wrote back, uh, "Thank you so much. You've made me so happy." And I <laughs> put this, uh, this particular uh, crying Batman up as a. As, it's very as Mad a, Magazine that yes. image. Yeah. I've also got strangely this picture. Of my hero. Oh, there he is, Hitchcock. This is a painting, this is a a photograph taken by uh, Gabby Rona, who I guess is semi-famous, I don't know. This was a a picture that was given to me by the merchandising people, because, you know, we we sign cells and we get, part of the deal is that we get some cells free from them. And I saw this uh, picture of Hitchcock um in the in the in the warner brothers store and i said that's what i want um and they get they got it for me it's actually to look at that picture you wouldn't think but it was it was for sale for almost eight hundred dollars in the store and um and that was 30 years ago i i just say that because um the stores are now gone and maybe uh Stuff like this is one of the reasons I don't know, but I've got this and uh, I had this up. I have to find. Uh, I'm switching around all my uh, art in my office. So. Well, if you need to get rid of some stuff, Alan, I'm happy to take off your hands. You know, I've got an empty wall behind me that 
that you know the animation cells from Joker's Fable would look great behind me right there. So you know, just send yeah. them to me. That's fine. I don't mind. Well, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I I have one other thing to show you, but I have to lift up my computer and okay. And these are oh these wow. are um, you can see these are lineups character of designs. Characters. Yeah, yes, character designs. For Batman and Superman, the old Batman, the new Batman, and I'm doing a terrible job of this. And I just have them all across my walls. Wow, that's and so cool. thing too. So that's me. Those those character lineups are great. Yeah, and uh, and all done by Bruce Tim. So uh, we all got uh, all the producers got copies of that. So it's, it feels like a one of a kind thing. But, um, Absolutely, yeah. Or four of a so cool. <laughs> Well, Alan, thank you so much for coming on. For all of our listeners, um, where do you want to direct them? Do you want to direct them anywhere? Um, are you big on social media? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm no. on Facebook if they want to try and get on Facebook. Uh, but that's about it. Um, and buy the comic book. We got... Um, we got uh, we're we're writing the last one of this season, and as a matter of fact, I could get uh, the script from Paul today, and it's 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 the fine. Is it so? Are you guys done after this volume? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, but uh, we we were told we were going to be done the last season, and it just kept going. So I don't know if it goes. It goes. If it doesn't, I've had a great time, and it's been absolutely. so much fun working with with. Um, with Paul and Andrew and, and there are other things. So uh, Paul and I have some other, another iron in the fire right now, which I can't talk about, but, uh, but maybe next year you'll, you'll have us on for that. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you so much, Alan. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Will. Yeah. I know I've been quite silent on this one. I don't know why, but yeah, thanks very much. And thanks for coming on. <laughs> Labbing my mouth too much. That's why. <laughs> no, not at all. Thanks, Alan. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? All right. We hope you all enjoyed that interview. Buddy, it was such a pleasure having Alan Burnett on. I'm so glad you could join us for that interview as well. Uh, what a cool dude and what a cool career, first of all. And right at the start, I asked him, you based on Charlie Collins or is Charlie Collins based on you? Should I say? Uh, Imagine he was like, no, you fucking asshole. You dick. Yeah. He's like, are you serious? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to finally have that confirmation from the man himself and even had a uh, animation. cell Charlie Collins in his office, which yeah, is very really cool. cool. Yeah. I can't wait to get to Joker's favor, man. I'm looking forward to that. And then obviously, he created the Two Face story and his multiple personalities. That was such a great, yes, uh, great side to that character that people hadn't seen before, and obviously has been carried on through movies and all sorts of other things. Um, so that was really great. Just him talking about how he came up with that and how he passed it on to Randy Rogel, and then obviously his love for Alfred Hitchcock, which uh, I was glad you were there because I know some of Hitchcock, but you obviously know most of Hitchcock's work. Well, yeah. I watched a Hitchcock movie the other day for the first time. Like one of his early works. Oh, what the fuck was it called? Where this lady um, goes to like, it's in black and white. She goes to this big house and 
you're kind of convinced that did this guy kill his ex-wife and is she next? It was pretty good. Oh, really? The ones, so I haven't seen a lot of Alfred Hitchcock. I would like to see Dial M for Murder. I've heard that's Classic. a very good one. Yeah, I know. I haven't seen that. This one was Sean Connery, the same year that he did Goldfinger, where it's like him basically manipulating a woman into like marrying him and stuff like that. Uh, came out in 1964. So, so I was many of Hitchcock's like themes were like men manipulating women. It's messed up. I know it is. It is or just men manipulating up. in general. Like as I said on this podcast, Rope is like my favorite Hitchcock film. I don't know why. It's such a left field B like. But yeah, movie, I watched. But... A, I watched a trailer for it this morning because after our, our chat with Alan Burnett, I've been wanting to watch more of uh, of Hitchcock's work, and I watched the trailer for Rope, and I was like. That's your favorite? Like it's just a who done it, yeah, right? Like but but yes, then but... we know who's done it because they give it away in the trailer. They're like, it was these two guys. And I was like, oh, why am I watching this? But you know, like in Inglorious Bastards, how masterful like tension is made in that movie? Like they're under the floorboards, aren't they? Like all that type of stuff. Right. Ro- rope is very similar to that. And what rope has going for it is that I think the camera cuts twice. So it's like you're watching a stage. Oh. Play. Like and, and like the way the camera moves. It's like you just you've gone to go see like you know something at the theater, and Jimmy Stewart is so good in it, and I just like the premise of two guys have killed somebody. The body is in the dining room table, like it's underneath the dining room table, and they're having a dinner party, and they're like, no one knows that we just killed somebody. And that's oh it. shit! Let's, let's invite the detective over for dinner. Ha 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 ha! And it's and that's that's oh, what it is. It's really fucking good. Okay, well, I, now I know that I'll watch it and spoilers for anyone that hasn't seen this film from 1960 no, or whatever. There's no spoilers there. That's just the basic premise. Stuff and twists from there. I like that movie so much that I'm, I'm currently redesigning my office and I'm planning on getting a Rope movie poster in here. Oh, okay, cool. Hey, you well, guys yeah. seen Rope? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, didn't that come out in like the 70s? Yeah. My other movie poster is Day of the Dead. Anyone see that movie? George A. Romero? No? Didn't that come out in the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about it now. <laughs> and, a jo- and a Jaws poster, because, you know, I do like that movie. Yeah, more well, me too. But yeah, back to Hitchcock and the connection to Batman. I would like to watch more of Hitchcock's work. One, because I've always wanted to anyway. But now that I know how much was just injected into the animated series and it was mm. influenced, I would love to kind of start seeing similarities and how they set up shots or the storylines that they've kind of blended with some of the old Hitchcock work. So yeah, I'd love to to go down the Hitchcock road and check out some of his work. And then of course he brought Scarface into the DCAU, which I thought was great. Um I loved that uh that that interpretation of the character. I, I can't wait to get to that episode as well. I really like Scarface. Do you like him as a villain? Yeah, I, I love Scarface as a villain. It's fantastic. And of course, you know, I mentioned he really does like characters that have kind of dual sides to them, right? Like Two Face, mm-hmm. Scarface. They have faces in them. He did a Clayface episode, Mister Face. <laughs> so yeah, lots of lots of cool uh, themes running throughout there. And I, I I love how he's still never seen the terrible trio because he just doesn't want to admit that mm. he had anything to do with it. Uh, I hope he does. I hope uh, after we told him to that he should check it out because uh, from what I remember. The last time I saw that episode was with you when we lived together years ago. And we were like, what's this episode? Because we never really watched, you know, ones that kind of were one-off villains. And I remember both of us being like, that was 
better than I thought. So maybe on a rewatch, it will still be the same, or maybe we'll be like, oh yeah, this is actually bad. Is that when you first like bought the DVDs of Batman the Animated Series? That's when no, that's when I moved back to England and oh, okay. I, re- I rebought them for because there has so be much money. British. I I spent, I'm, I'm, and now I bought them again on streaming because I don't have a DVD player. Yeah, but anymore. you got them when they were on offer for twenty five pounds. If, if shout out by the way, uh, Batman the Animated Series on Amazon, uh, no, on Apple is always on sale. So yes. if you just wait, add it to your favorites, it might pop up, and they usually sell it for any twenty to twenty five pounds. For the full fucking show in HD, like it's a good deal. Well, it's also on Max, which is now which which was was HBO Max, and now it's just yeah. Max. So we don't have it over in Europe, and they don't have it in Australia and other countries. But in America, if you have Max, you got Batman the Animated Series and all of them. You got Justice League, Batman Beyond. You got the whole DCAU there. But yeah, having it on streaming has been great for me. I love being able to just dive straight in with whatever device I have. You know, I can watch Batman anywhere, which is great. Uh, and then finally, obviously, with Alan Burnett, right, the adventure continues with Paul Dini and how that all came to be and creating new stories within the DCAU. I think it's just really great, man. I love how we're still getting the people that were involved in the show. Some of the architects are still creating stories in this world now. It's just mm-hmm. a comic book form. Um, and I think it's it, it's a great read. I highly recommend anyone that hasn't read The Adventure Continues to go pick it up because it is literally... Each issue is like watching an episode of the animated series. It's really great. All right, let's do our first and only game of the day, Ace the Bat Sound. This is a game that we play with you, the listener. Each week, I'll play a brief music clip from the show, and you have to guess who the character is or the title of the episode and the music belongs to. The answer to each clip will be revealed in the following episode. Feel free to play along wherever you are listening. So last week, we had this clip. And if you still don't know, here's a voice clip from that episode. Good evening, Miss Pleasance. I'm here to help you forget your recent heartbreak. Gotham can be a wonderland, Alice. Tonight, let me be your guide. I'll get my coat. Why don't you reveal the answer? Ah, the answer to this question is the Mad Hatter. <laughs> that is correct. That is the Mad Hatter's theme or Jervis Tetch's theme. All right, and here's the musical clip. Oh, here's the musical clip. Here's the musical clip. <laughs> here's the musical clip for next week's episode where you'll have to name the character that the music belongs to. Well, maybe you'll have enough time to guess it in the future. No. Time? (laughs) 
<laughs> What's the time? <laughs> <Alter is cool>. No. <laughs> I hate you do that because there's no pause when you say it. So it's just like when I have to edit, you're such a bastard because it's just like nah nah nah. And it's like no, stop it. <laughs> no, you add a little bleep sound effects. You know, more editing. Yeah, more editing, more fun. And as I talk, there's more editing for you to do. So I'll just keep on talking. The answer was no. Right, you'll have plenty of time to guess that one as you'll yes. have the. Uh, you'll need just the answer. No. Uh, I just saved that for an outtake from a future episode. <laughs> uh, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yeah, nobody got time for that, do they? No time! Alright, it's our next segment. You've got mail. Oh, by the way, this came for you an hour ago by Messenger. You've got mail. Thank you, Alfred. You've this is a got segment. mail. <laughs> uh, this is a segment. I wish take... somebody. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I can kill you. I wasn't finished with my thought. If AOL had the balls to make a social media that was just purely based on nostalgia, where you know how we use Facebook Messenger to chat to each other. Bring back AOL Instant Messenger and make it look like it was back in the day, but have modern functionality like sending pictures and gifts and all that stuff. And like having like all their social media just like pure and like and their email, you've got mail. Like and you still hear that on your phone and everything. I would be all over that. I'd pay for that experience because You'd so, pay money for that? So many millennials are nostalgia junkies because we had fucking we lived in the nineties and it was a dope time. So Take me back, baby. Country roads. <laughs> Take me home. Well, AOL. Like, <laughs> on my phone. They're like, we've got one subscriber, sir. Monthly subscription. <laughs> Will <Robinson>. Robson. <laughs> Living in the past. <laughs> it's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My we, current we, position is depressing as shit. <laughs> I am broke, and I wish I was a kid again. That's why we do a podcast on the Batman the Animated Series, because it reminds you of good times before shit got bad. Now life's pain, and you're fat. I'm just laughing at your misfortune. Oh, God. All right, well, let's have some nice comments, shall we? Let's uh, uplift our spirits with some nice comments. We've got Vic on TikTok. Vic has said... My headcanon is that Batman perfected this tech, the invisible tech, and that's why Batman Beyond can go invisible. I like that. Finally read the, all of the uh, the breakdown memo then. <laughs> yeah, you finally learned how to do it. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really cool idea. If, uh, if he encountered Invisible Man and perfected that technology and put it on the Batman Beyond suit, that makes a lot of sense. I dig it. Next up, Dr. Hamblin on YouTube says, Another amazing episode, gentlemen. And that was the review of See No Evil. Thank you so much, Dr. Hamblin. Are you a real doctor? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> then we got The Birdman on YouTube. He just said, you guys are great. Thanks. You're great Thanks, too. Thanks, Birdman. Then we Love got ben you, Harris. Michael Keaton. <laughs> we got Ben Harris on YouTube for our Heart of Ice review. He says, I love the cold too. And you guys' shorts are the best. He means our, like, our TikTok and YouTube shorts, not our actual right. shorts. Uh, and he loves the cold just like you. That's right. I'm sweating right now and I wish it was cold. 
Then Sarah Seidel on TikTok says there is so much dopamine in this account. And Robson Inc. on TikTok says, you're blocked. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And then we have an email from Anton Holtzman who says, I have a question. Will you review Mask of the Phantasm sometime down the line too? I think it's the best comic. Yeah. And also, we got a 4K release this September of that movie. So um, I don't know if we'll get to it in September, but we'll definitely get around to it. And when we do, we'll be able to watch it in 4K. Well, we should probably do it around then since that's when it's coming out. It'll be popular and it will probably bring more listeners into the show because it's the hot topic of the day, etc. Yeah. I mean, we are going in production order and. That one falls, I think that, for me, that one can be kind of put in at any point because... Yeah, it's a prequel, know, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to take place, like, you know, between... Um, there's, like, a Mad Hatter episode and, like, another episode, but there's loads of flashbacks. It doesn't matter where we put it in. So, yeah, maybe in September, that's a great idea, actually. We'll get around to doing Mask of the Phantasm and... There's loads of other cool movies. There's Sub-Zero, which obviously we'll get to at some point, and World's Finest with Batman and Superman. That was a great little movie that they made for TV that I would love to get to. So there's some cool movies that we'll definitely watch. World's Finest, that's the one with like one of my favorite like scene where Batman like figures out who Superman is, right? Yes, yes. Where he follows him and with the binoculars and just gives him the salute mm-hmm. and then just jumps off the building. Yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, so we'll get to that. And then there's a few others. Like, I don't think you've ever seen Batman Mystery of the Batwoman, which is the last. Mm, I think I have like, seen that. Oh, have you? Where you're not, you don't know who the Batwoman is. There's like yeah. a, you know, whole, yeah, well, mystery. That's why it's called that around <laughs> who she is. Is that why it's called Mystery of the Batwoman? <laughs> That's why it's called Mystery of the Batwoman. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, so we'll get to all of those films in due course, but Phantasm in September is a great idea. And if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever you're listening to us on right now as it helps us back grapple up the charts and attract both new listeners and guests. And if you leave a review, we might read it out on the pod. And please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform of choice if you haven't yet already. And you can follow us on social media at Batman TAS Pod on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Threads everywhere but twitter which is at batman tas pod one and that's because why because we are the number one batman the animated series podcast you got damn right and in the description of this episode you'll find a tip jar where you can give to us any amount of money you can afford to give if you so wish as we aren't billionaire playboy philanthropists any amount you can afford to give us is not necessary but always greatly appreciated and finally you can follow me everywhere at chef alex robson and you can follow will on his socials to stay up to date on what he's working on and get a glimpse into the work day of a comic book artist and writer will where can our listeners find you Anywhere at Robson Inc. And that's R-O-B-S-O-N-I-N-K on the internet where I post pretty much every day about what I'm working on. Check out my brand spanking new comic Outbreaks, which you can get through my website on Comicsology and Global Comics. And you better be coming out September 1st. I'm launching issues one and two for Outbreaks on Kickstarter. So if you missed out on the first Kickstarter, you can pick up yourself up issue one along with issue two. It's going to be fucking great. That's right. Links in the description below for Global Comics, Comicsology, and Speech Comics website. All right. It's our last chat of the day, which is what you're putting in your holes. Buddy, what is filling your holes? Uh, I've started watching Fear the Walking Dead. Oh, have you? Yep. And some of it, you know, because uh, at first I tried out the show called Z Nation, which was 
terrible. But I was kind of enjoying it because it was so bad that it was kind of entertaining. Is that the one, there's a cover art of like a blonde woman like eating a heart or something like that? No, I think that's um, iZombie, I isn't it? Uh, that's iZombie, you're right, yeah. Um, no, Z Nation is, is just a a complete like knockoff of Walking Dead combined with The Last of Us. Like It's about a guy who uh, it can't be infected by the zombies basically same as last of us with ellie um and traveling across the wasteland to get from point you know to get someone that where they can make a vaccine out of them i was like this is last of us this is last of us yeah it's also my original story dinosaurs which i wrote 10 plus years ago that everyone fucking stole from me that's why if you write a story you need to get the fuck out there before someone else does it anyway um (laughs) so it's it's really bad i mean the first episode had a zombie baby in it that ate somebody um oh wow and and they're fast moving zombies so this was a fast moving zombie baby and it was ridiculous so i yeah i was like that's that's i was like i still want some zombie content i was like i've tried to fear the walking dead so many times season one is crap season two had like a couple little things was like yeah i was like all right we'll just continue wherever the hell we left off and me and my wife were like i don't remember a thing but let's just do it and there's been a couple of episodes where i've been like all right okay i like this Uh, but it's just it's very very it's like Getting a pizza from the supermarket that's not very good, but it's pizza, you know? <laughs> hey, man, you're preaching to the choir on that one. <laughs> yeah. It's still zombies at the end of the day. And I also watched uh, the latest Grand Tour with the, uh, what's it called? The Three Conservative oh, Men. <laughs> <laughs> Clarkson, Hammond, and May. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. That was yeah. funny. It's all right. Um, okay. Anything else you're putting in your offices? I'm still watching Cobra Kai with my wife, though we have kind of stopped watching it. I think she's lost interest now. That uh, it's really focusing more on like the law and like the villains and stuff. Right. I think she like she really liked it in season one because Johnny is really funny in season one, and it's like his story of like a comeuppance. And now it's all about the kids, right? Like it's all about the kids and John Kreese and this, that, the other. And she, I, I could see her. She's on her phone. She doesn't pay attention to any of it. And it's like super teen drama. So I was like, all right, I think this one is dead in the water. Um, <laughs> when the phone comes out and the head goes down, you're like, yeah. oh no, I've lost her. And then, which is fine. You know, show's not for everybody. Um, and then what was the other thing that we're watching as well? I cannot remember. Cool. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, what I'm putting in my holes is I went to go see the new Barbie movie and mm-hmm. was very pleasantly surprised at how good it actually was. I didn't go in thinking this is going to be bad, but my partner wanted to go see it. So I was like, all right, I like the cinema. I like the experience. Let's go watch Barbie. It's supposed to be pretty good. And I was uh, I was really blown away by how impressive the story was and the cinematography, the acting, just everything was um quite original for a film that was based on a toy line uh you know how when the lego movie came out everyone was like wow this is actually a pretty good movie based on toys it was who said that lots of people that movie's loved the lego movie is is really loved by a lot of people but um yeah the bobby movie was a surprise like that where it's like oh wow this is much better and so many adult themes that were treated well in such a great way, very modern, um, in the sense of like, there were so many 
parents with like little girls that were like dressed up in pink and everything when we went to go see it. And this was like an 11 o'clock showing on like a Wednesday or something like that. It was crazy. Like, mommy, but- mommy, I want to see Oppenheimer, mommy. <laughs> yeah, no one in fedoras and trench coats. But uh, yeah, this. It, Mommy, what I, I want love... a cigarette. <laughs> I want to blow up a country. But, I mean, uh, what was Hiroshima, <laughs> Mummy? <laughs> but what I did love about that whole experience was I was like, this is, you know, I see when I go see a superhero movie, especially when they were first, like when Marvel was really starting to build the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I saw kids dressed as those characters and they were mostly boys. So it was really nice seeing that. But the message that Barbie was sending was all obviously about female empowerment and everything like that. And I was like, this is great because it's great for adults. It's for everyone. And I was hoping that the little girls that went there were going to come out of that with not only enjoying the movie, but like retaining some of that message as well, or feeling like mm. I can go on to be anything yeah, I want to be. That's what the original message of Barbie was. It was female empowerment. Like, there's a reason why she had all those different careers. There's yeah. a reason why Ken, I saw an article on this actually this morning. There's a reason Ken was never married to her. She was he was always her boyfriend because they. The idea was that she was an independent woman that didn't have to be a housewife or like rely on any sort of man in order mm-hmm. to, to be a successful person. It was only society that sort of twisting it into like, oh, you know, fucking it's all about the clothes and the, the house yeah. and the materialism and all that shit. So I, and, and that's exactly what this movie is about, right? right. Like her, her, it's Barbie's dream house. It's Barbie land. Like it's, it's all about her. But then when the real world comes into play, it's like, wait a minute this is not like Barbie world at all. Barbie's it's all a, it's run by men and it's really well done. And it's like the men making the decisions, even at Mattel. And this is produced by Mattel, but they were making fun of Mattel in this movie. Like Will Ferrell's the CEO of Mattel and he's got this team of men and they're all deciding what the next Barbie line's going to be and everything. And it's, that there's no funny. woman inside. Yeah. It's very good. You know, so I'm, I really I'm a enjoyed big it. Will Ferrell fan. Yeah. So I enjoyed Barbie a lot. Um, I also watched the show, I'm almost done with it, Hijack, that new Idris Elba show about the plane <laughs> being hijacked. Ah, okay. Uh, it's good. It's, I'm only it's laughing because it's been an inside joke with me and my wife recently. Like, you want to watch Hijack? Because we both think it looks absolutely shit. So anytime we're like, what do you want to watch? I'm like, we should watch Hijack with Idris Elba. It's <laughs> like a joke. It's good. It's not bad. Is it? uh, I'm not like... Hey, I can't wait for the next episode. I've literally just been pacing it out. I thought it was a movie uh, as well. The fact that it's a show cracks so up even more. I know. It's. I thought it was a movie too. How? Um, but but this, is it about hijacking a plane and it's a series? How long is this flight? Yes. <laughs> well, it's from um, it's from Dubai to London, so it's seven right, hours. Seven, seven and a half hours. Yes, but the uh, the group are they flying Emirates? Over- what do the fly attendants look like? They, uh, well, just like flight attendants, they're dressed in like, I don't know, the blue. Eh, like, they, they ain't no Emirates. If you would, you would know Emirates because they have like the fancy little cloth hanging from their little hat that like goes around like their neck and stuff like that. <laughs> I love how you're like, if it's Emirates, I'll watch it. <laughs> hey, Emirates is the best flight I've had in my life. I watched the World Cup live sitting in not first class, but, um, whatever it's called, uh, premium economy no one sat next to me my flight attendant was like i love the world cup so if i just keep bringing you like beer and snacks can i watch little games like can i just like pretend like you're asking for something and i'll watch the game i was like absolutely let that shit roll i got fucking (laughs) wasted on the plane i watched three games 
and I had a great time. And I'm Imagine a Tottenham- if it was if it was taken over by terrorists, and you're like, no, 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 <laughs> having a great it's time. It's a penalty kick. Just wait a minute. <laughs> They're um, like, we're going to turn off the internet now, and the TVs. You're like, if you like, do that, Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, the people that take over the plane are British. They're not, like, from from Dubai or anything like that. So. I didn't even think about who would be taking them over, to be honest. Yeah. What um, are the Brits think, doing taking it over? Well, it's like they're British. We're going to crash actually... into the London Eye. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go into the House of Parliament, show into the fucking House of Commons, and blow up all those cunts. We're going to make Big Ben Little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 all right it's like the more i talk about it i'm like nah, it's okay it's something i've been watching oh no I... idris elba's on the flight we're ruined <laughs> don't worry i wish i was james bond but i'm not because i'm actually not that very good of an actor i'm just a really handsome guy it's true he's very handsome uh yeah i do a show... lot of sky advertisements where i'm in a colorful jumper and i show you me watching sport and all that because <laughs> i'm cool in it I'm really cool with my colourful jumper in it. <laughs> I think secretly my best role was when I was on The Office. But no one really talks about that. He, he was good in The Office, I really actually. fucking hated my time on Marvel as, what's his name, Heugenberg or whatever his name is. Heugenberg? Oh, <laughs> that sounds like a sauce. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want in your sandwich? That's the Heugenberg sauce. Yeah, um, what is it? Heimdall? Is that his name? Heimdall. Heimdall. I really hated my time as that character. <laughs> I bet he doesn't even remember the name of that character. If you're like, who should play in Marvel? I'll give you a million pounds. You'd be like, bloke, bloke who guarded Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> the king of Asgard. Do you think if he bumps his elbow, he's like, oh, I'll be Idris Elbow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what, buddy? This is such crap humor. Why am I laughing? Me Idris Elba. <laughs> that's, that's the, when he's on the plane, he's about to jump yeah. them. <laughs> oh, me Idris Elba. The flight attendant puts like this, the the uh, the trolley into his elbow. Oh, me Idris Elba. <laughs> Can I get a pack of peanuts, please? Yeah. <laughs> no, sir. We don't serve peanuts on the flights anymore Rush because up. of allergies. <laughs> oh man! But there is a show I am watch. Why well, I've just finished watching that i love it's the bear uh the bear is just fantastic there's such great like it's just it's all about like being able to express yourself creatively like as a person and it's about like family and loads of other things and this creative expression has to be food which i love um there's just so many great characters that are, are just all intertwining really well and it's a really well done show um so i've thoroughly enjoyed it they just released season two and i watched all in like the matter of like two days um and even like there's a character that you end up hating and then you end up really feeling for and like actually coming around to because you see him experience something that he's actually good at and like finds his purpose in life and you're like this is fucking great like i i literally like went to my girlfriend and i'm like this is good and she's like here we go sound like you're you- relating to yourself a little bit there well, there's there there are some there are some similarities to my life in the bear for sure, but I just like a really well told, well done show, and I think it's great. Yeah, I've heard good things. I'll check it out eventually. Yeah, and then it's the just, final just thing the cooking is, thing that's holding me back. I don't care about people cooking. 
Yeah, I, I know what you mean because that doesn't fall within your thing that you you know want to watch. But um, yeah, I'm the type of guy out. that's looking to buy a rope poster for his office. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Actually, I don't think the bear is your type of thing. But um, if you do, uh, I'd be surprised if you're like, yeah, this is really good. I think you'd just be like, it's okay, bud. I can see you doing that. I can see that message on my phone watching the bear. Not for me. I can see that coming on my phone right oh, I'll, now. I'll do that. That's yeah, great. For you. Uh, and then finally, San Diego Comic-Con is obviously happening during this recording. And yes, I'm not really jealous cool... at all. I know. Some really cool toy lines, man. Um, obviously, first of all, you shared these with me to begin with. Spider-Man the Animated Series is releasing more toys in the uh, line for the show. There's an incredible Peter Parker that uh, is in his, like, salmon T-shirt and mm. brow- uh, blue jacket, jeans. Shacket. Shacket. Uh, shirt jacket uh yeah and he just looks just like the peter parker from the show which i mm-hmm. love because they haven't really nailed that look yet where they're like no, this the, is the animated series like, when they parker. first did the toys they were like it's the animated series and it's like it wasn't at all people were wearing different stuff they didn't look anything i like know it, so it seems like they're finally like oh people actually want the stuff to look like it's from the show well yes you fucking idiot of course yeah, look at that, bud. I'm sharing with you right now. Look how cool. Yes, that's like there. spot on from the show. I would have that. Yeah, I love Why that. do I weirdly would want that toy over anything else? Like, I don't I care know. about Spider Man or anything. I'm like, give me Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, and in, he's in got his like shirt. different in his shirt with poseable like web fingers. Look at that. He's taking a selfie with the little web fingers. I love, I love that. It. Yeah, and then obviously we've got uh, Robot Smythe, which um, is dildos really cool on his shoulders. Yeah. With yeah, the meat curtains. Um, any any listeners of Spider Man the Animated Series podcast will know that we loved doing uh, skits with Smythe and Kingpin, and um, especially when he turned him into a sex robot and all of that stuff. So it's great to see those toys, and there were other ones too. There was a Green Goblin one that you shared with yeah, me. Yeah, amazing. And Aunt May, that's right. And they've got these really cool like VHS box yeah the boxes are great that's what they come in right they come Mm -hmm. in like a vhs box yeah that's that's really smart i love that because it's just like the vhs tapes that we used to have as kids so that's spider-man got some great toys coming out from the animated series and of course batman the animated series your buddy tub mcfarlane is releasing loads of cool new toys um from batman the animated series uh, a friend of mine is at fucking san diego comic-con and he sent me an image he was like look who i got to chat to for 30 minutes while waiting to sit down for dinner and it was tom mcfarlane and he just like hung out with him for half an hour and they chatted shit i was like hey fuck you buddy <laughs> i think i saw you commenting saying not jealous at all no, no um, i'm not jealous at all and everyone's been yeah. doing panels all my friends and co-workers are winning Eisner Awards, and everyone's just at this Comic-Con that's focusing more on comics, but with the yes. star, like the size and immenseness of a usual San Diego Comic-Con. I'm like, fuck me, do I want to be there? Because I get asked all the time from all my editorial, hey, you're going to be at a San Diego Comic-Con, we can do a signing, you can be at the Marvel booth doing signatures. Well, fuck me, does that sound awesome? But no, yeah, I live in England, and I have no money, and life is pain, <laughs> and we're moving on from this subject, and you know what? We're going to end the podcast right here. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> it's been a great podcast. Thank you very much. I'm going to go start my day. Well, Bye. That, that's all the time we got for this week. Thank you to Alan Burnett for coming on the show. He's an amazing guest. Join us next time while we'll continue talking all things Batman, the animated series, and Will's crippling life pain. Until then, I've been Alex Robson. I've been Will Robson. And remember that we are vengeance. We are the night. We are a podcast. Fuck off.
<laughs> Doodles. <laughs> It's time to, time to crack open ah, ah, a nice glass of pussy. What? Pussy. What are you drinking? I'm drinking pussy. I'm sorry, what? See, look, there's a drink. pussy. Pussy. There's a, there's a drink called pussy. Hell yeah, bud. They'll call it, they'll well, name, they'll name brands anything. Never had pussy before. <laughs> They'll fucking name a brand anything. That's crazy. So, <laughs> this energy drink, I was in, uh, the only place you can get it is, um, what's the name of that shop? Is it Wilco or something like that? I can't remember. So you're powered um, by pussy. Oh yeah, I'm powered by the power of pussy right now. <laughs> um, and I saw it and I was like, what the fuck is that? I said to my wife, this was years ago. I was like, that drink's called pussy. She's like, yeah, it's pussy. And she was talking to me like, what, you don't know about pussy? And I was like, I'm sorry, but can we just address the fact that there's a drink <laughs> called pussy? That's how I just felt. I don't exactly. know that there's a drink called pussy. And I was like, well, I have to try it, right? And I bought it. And you know what the funniest thing about pussy is? <laughs> it tastes fucking awesome. <laughs> You're going to say that before you even said it. Oh, man, that's crazy. Like Sparkling passion fruit and uh, lychee flavoring natural energy drink. It's yummy. Is this an ad? Are they a sponsor? It's the only push I eat, bud. <laughs> Your wife's downstairs like, I fucking know. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, like, they'll name brands anything these days. And I sound like such an old man when I say that. But, like, what did I see recently? Oh, I saw, like, a, a menu item called OMFG. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, that's what you've called your, your meal or your dish? OMFG. Yeah, but you, like, you run a food place. You do silly names for your food. Yeah, I don't know. I just like calling it like I don't know anal beads. Like that's gonna be the next one. You know what anal I mean? beads. <laughs> yeah, pussy is pussy's quite a statement, isn't it? Like it, yeah. And there's no, there's nothing on it that says like uh, it's like a pussy cat or anything. Like there's no little cat logo or anything. So yeah. It can it can really only mean one thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just slammed right there in big letters on the on the can. I think my wife said it's been around um, like since she was a kid. So it's not a bad marketing strategy to be like, all right, I've got a new drink in the market. No one's going to drink it. Everyone's drinking fucking Red Bull. What should I call it? Some guy's just like, call it pussy. Everyone's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? Why is this guy? Pussy. He's like, yeah. And then like, they fire him and then he leaves and they're like, pussy. <laughs> I mean, I'd buy it, right? And I was like, yeah, I would. And you know what the great thing is? You buy it, and then you realize it tastes delicious. And they're like, all right, it's called pussy. Anyway, this is an ice-cold pussy. Oh, man. This pussy's been in the fridge for a long time. It is the coldest pussy I've ever had in my life, and it's delicious. It sounds like either a dead body or a terrible, like, ex-wife, like, cold as mm. ice. Um, you know me, I'm a pussy, man. You know what's going to come next? They're like, you know what our next product is? Cock. Cock <laughs> would be a good one. <laughs> and and it's well, I have be... to drink cock. And then you'd be like, it's delicious. <laughs> Coconut. Or just call it cum. <laughs> cum. Yeah, see. Yeah. Cum. Man, this cum is so oh, good. 
I could drink cum all day. <laughs> I drink it so fast, sometimes it spills down my chin onto my chest. Oh, I'm covered in cum. <laughs> oh, man. This is actually uh, a great market. Cum all over the place. And then someone's going to take it too far. They're going to call it like Dirty Sanchez, and they're like, well, <laughs> we've gone too far now. Pussy. <laughs> It's delicious, bud. I bet if you'd sit to you'd be like, that's very nice. That's a good-ass <laughs> pussy. <laughs> oh, See, like we're talking, look, we are talking about it, and we run a podcast that has thousands of listeners, so they may sell some product through this now. That's hey, true. pussy, if you're listening, we'd love to advertise you. <laughs> we we'll love be the pussy. spokespeople for pussy, because we love pussy. The drink. <laughs> Tastes good, and it's good for you. Pussy. The, the real thing? Nah, I'm taking it or leave it. But the drink? <laughs> love it. <laughs> Try to put your dick in the can. <laughs> oh, you have to have a pencil dick for that. It'd be cut up. <laughs> this pussy ruined my dick. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all have. Uh, all right. Well, now we've uh, now we've given pussy their their ad time. Do you want to do a podcast? Pussy. <laughs> the drink for men. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Passion fruit and lychee. Me like it. I don't think their marketing strategy is it's a drink only for men. <laughs> <laughs> but 100%, I think a man came up with that name. I don't know. I'd be surprised. It's got hot pink lettering. What? <laughs> no man would do hot pink lettering. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just stating what it, it's a white can with hot pink lettering. It's kind of nice, actually. Like I like the pattern. Like the it looks like what everyone had. Like we are giving them so actually. much free. All right, let's move on. Let's have a podcast yeah. then. We're we're not getting paid now. All right. Am I peeking over here? Hello, hello. I think I'm a little bit close. So back up a bit. No, that was good. Be close. Fuck it. Get your Peak. face all over that pussy. It's good pussy, man. <laughs> All right, here we go.